Smith and Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. I don't even know what day it is anymore, folks. Tuesday, Tuesday edition. I'm joking, of course. Raptors were supposed to play last night against the Orlando Magic. That game postponed. In spite of the craziness in the uh, in the world and in the association, that was the only game last night in the association that was postponed. So six games still went off in the NBA. We will break down some of those, chat about some of those over the course of the uh, first five or ten minutes of the program today, and uh, we'll get into a whole lot else later on uh, in the program. Tim Bontemps from ESPN uh, is set to join us, and we'll get to him later on during this first hour as well and also George Carl former NBA head coach will uh, be joining us this hour specifically as well and we'll break down a whole lot with George Carl love having him on the show we've had him on a couple of times and always good to catch up with the coach and uh, right off the bat Jonesy I'm going to hit you with not Golden State continuing to win and yes it was the actual Golden State Warriors back on the floor last night not the Santa Cruz Warriors Uh, I don't know where you wanted to go but I'm going to throw you the, the 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 game that stood out for me most and it wasn't even Boston-Philly either. How about Chicago, ravaged by COVID, and DeMar DeRozan specifically, who was sidelined for, for quite some time, then comes back with a monster effort against the Lakers and goes punch-for-punch, punch, toe-to-toe with LeBron James, and then follows it up last night with 11 of 18 for 26 points and three rebounds, six assists, and yes, I know the opponent wasn't exactly a world beater in the Houston Rockets, but either way, considering what this Bulls team has been through, to still be sitting there at 19 and 10, and still you know, trying to, to knock on the door and, and, and track down the Brooklyn Nets for that number one spot just a game and a half back, I'm beyond impressed with Chicago not just this season, but of late. It just goes to show you, Eric, as the Lakers are finding out now, after our uh, chat yesterday with uh, you know or, or, or over the last week or so with all the people we've talked about and, and yesterday with Brian Windhorse it's all about the fit it's all about having people who fit you know when Chicago made the move with DeRozan it's like ah, I think they paid too much for him now Lonzo Ball okay so you got a point guard uh, yeah they got Caruso but you know how good will he be away from LeBron like all of these things and it's about the fit. It's about the chemistry. And, and this team has, has shown that. And I give Arturus Karnishevus and, and former Raptor assistant GM Mark Eversley a lot of credit for putting the team together. Billy Donovan knew exactly what he was working with. Like, you've you got to give this team a whole lot of credit for, for what's going on. And then... As for DeMar himself, Eric, I mean, that's that's something that, you know, we've talked about numerous times. The guy is, he's a professional. He's, he's, he's done a terrific job of improving his game. Every year, something new gets put in. And when people were, you know, when they were 22 and 60 and we were saying, oh, this kid DeRozan, you know, he's, he's pretty good, you know, if he... If he puts some work in, he could be a player. Yeah, here he is, what, 11 years later in the league and still killing people. And I'm telling you, if I had an MVP vote, he'd be in my top five right now. No question about it. Yeah, Steph and Durant are the obvious. And I know a lot of people want to look at Jokic and the great numbers he's putting up. But for me, if your numbers aren't like historical, kind of like what Russell Westbrook did with the triple-double thing, hey, man, if you ain't winning, your ballot's walking. 
and and injuries or not, Jokic's team is in the middle of the pack. He's playing great, but he's not getting an MVP vote from me. Uh, you know, like you look at the way Joel Embiid has played lately. That's great, mm-hmm. but you're mm-hmm. 500 team. Winning, baby. It's all about the bottom line. So if you're talking about DeMar, he gets one of my top five votes right now without question. I don't disagree with you at all. In fact, I actually just taped an interview. He, uh, yeah. He, I'll give you my top four right now. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. If you're prepared to give me a locked-in list and not like top four and it becomes top eight, then I will stop the no. presses and let you go. So absolutely, please let me hear the top four. Well, you know what? Stop your damn presses right now. <laughs> 1A, 1B, flip a coin. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, DeMar DeRozan, 2A, 2B, Chris Paul. Done. Short list. I wouldn't say, in the line, in, in, as, as the old coach Bum Phillips used to say, I wouldn't say he's in a class by himself, but it don't take long to do attendance. I, I do love the fact though that you didn't do one two three four. You gave me one A one B two A two B. So there's always there's always something with you, Jonesy. There's always something sure. you're finding like a, a little catch, a little a, a little a, a little amendment somewhere. But listen, I can't argue with that list. And what I was going to say to you is I I, I did an interview with Chuck Swirsky just prior to coming to air uh, for for something he's working on in Chicago. And and clearly you'll agree with me because you just put him uh, either third or fourth on your MVP list. There's absolutely no chance that he's not an all-star. He's 1,000% an all-star. In fact, he's probably an all-star starter. And number two, if he keeps this up, and yes, there's more than half a season to go, but if he keep, keeps this pace up, he's all NBA. Like, he might even be first-team all NBA, but he's he's all NBA, yeah. period. Like, he is having an incredible season. Incredible season. And that's still coming off a couple of solid years with San Antonio. Like, people are trying to think, like, what's the motivation? I'll tell you what, for me, the motivation is, the motivation is that's what DeMar DeRozan is. That's what he's done. This is who he's been. The, 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 one of the answers I gave Chuck Jonesy, and I, 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 again, I think you'd echo these sentiments, what impresses me about DeMar DeRozan as a man, as a person, let alone as a player, is his work ethic, his attention to detail, his respect for fellow human, let alone respect for the game, And when I tie all that together, what does that necessarily mean? It was a guy that I saw every single season from the minute he was a rookie till year nine with the Raptors when he moved on and ultimately went somewhere else and down in San Antonio and now in Chicago. Every single year he came back with either a brand new tool in his bag or a tool that he took out, cleaned up, buffed up, and and made it shiny so it looked new again. He was always working on his game, always working on his flaws, always working on ways to improve, always looking to evolve as a player, and he has become a master at his craft. He sure has, Eric. And, and uh, you know, that, that it, it restores my faith in uh, what we call the eye test. Um, a lot of people look at numbers, and when we saw DeMar, you know, we saw, we saw that. We saw that potential. And I never forget when Mark Eversley drafted and Brian Colangelo drafted him. We were doing the, uh, we were in the uh, media room doing our wrap up for the fan. It was late that night on draft night, and Mark Eversley came downstairs and he rubbed his hands together and he said, "You like the kid we got?" I said, "He's very athletic, you know. He's like he's, he can. He, I mean, he fits today's NBA." And he said, "Oh, you wait. We're going to make him an All Pro." 
And I thought, okay, everybody says that on draft night, right? You, you know, you, you put the hat on the kid, you win the press conference, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, what a great pick it is, no matter who you are. And eh, there'd be some second guessers, but uh, they say that, oh, we're going to make him a pro. And I'm like, okay, well, show me. I mean, I think he's got great potential, uh, but uh, can you meld that uh, piece of clay into a, you know, a classic vase and, with the help of the Raptors and, you know, the people around him, and that probably where the, all the development stuff started. And look at DeMar now. As you said, we're, we're talking about him as a potential MVP. All right. I don't know where you thought I was going to start, but I'm going to guess. I could be dead wrong. I'm going to guess you thought I might go with 41 for Joel Embiid and the Sixers beating the Celtics. Where did you think I was going to start? Where do you want to go right now? No, that's where I thought you were going to start. And Philadelphia has, uh, you know, uh, they're a team that's still, I I think they're still missing Ben Simmons. But Mm -hmm. if Embiid plays like that, like he's, that's, and his teams are winning. Like last year, he could have been the MVP. Nine, you had Ben Simmons and they were winning a lot more games. But, I mean, that, that guy's a monster. That guy is a monster. And if he plays the way he did last night and making big shots, uh, you know, Philadelphia could be, uh, they should be a tough out. 41 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, four blocks, two steals on 50-plus percent from the floor. I'm going to let Jonesy do the math, 14 of 27. But uh, Joel Embiid with a monster performance last night. Four players in the starting lineup for the Sixers playing 40-plus minutes. And I think we're going to be seeing more and more of that around the league because of uh, COVID and so many players in health and safety protocols. I believe we're, we're, we're damn close to 25% of the league currently in health and safety protocols, or at least very close to it. I believe it's over 20% now. Uh, so there simply aren't a lot of options for a lot of teams. And yes, the NBA has relaxed the rules a little bit as far as the CBA goes, as far as roster construction goes, and specifically the salary cap and the luxury tax and everything else, uh, allowing teams now to sign players um, to fill out their roster um, to 10-day deals. And they're called emergency contracts. And we can talk about a lot of players around the league that are being signed under those new provisions, those new, new rules, uh, including friend of the show, C.J. Miles, who's joined us a bunch of times, now a member of the Boston Celtics. He didn't suit up for Boston last night, uh, but hopefully he gets in a little bit burn, a little bit of burn, excuse me, uh, in, in, in Boston's next game. But, Jonesy, let's bring it back to the Raptors for a couple of seconds before maybe we look back to a couple other games last night. The Toronto Raptors announcing in the last 24 hours – that Gary Trent Jr. has joined Pascal Siakam and Delano Banton in the health and safety protocols. When you combine those three with David Johnson still out, Kem Birch still out, Goran Dragic away from the team, the Raptors have been granted permission to have three players signed in these emergency 10-day contracts. So now joining the Raptors for their next game tomorrow against Chicago in the Windy City, which... By all accounts, as of this very second, there's no reason to think that game's not happening, so Toronto will play a game before Christmas, again in Chicago tomorrow. The Raptors have signed three players, including Brandon Godwin, Jawan Morgan, who, oh, by the way, was a former college teammate of OG Ananobi, and another Canadian joins the squad, and a a guy we know quite well who's been playing in the G League, Nick Stauskas. So three guys, Godwin, uh, Morgan, and Stauskas now joining the Raptors. I'm I'm excited to see uh, what Nick Stauskas can bring. 
Um, you, you know, the Raptors like to uh, spread the floor on the offensive end, uh, drive, kick, swing, uh, rinse, repeat, uh, get paint touches, kick it out to shooters. Uh, I don't think they're going crazy with their three-point shots, but a guy like Stauskas can certainly help. And uh, for Nick, if he can, I mean, this who knows? Your breaks and your opportunities come at the most, uh, sometimes at the weirdest times. And, you know, they pop up when you think things are inopportune and, and boom, there you go. Um, I, I, hey, man, if he can play defense, I think maybe, you know, they and, and make some shots, maybe they keep him on the end of the roster for a while. You, you just never know. But when you're a guy who can shoot the basketball, I always say it's like being left-handed in baseball, uh, a left-handed pinch hitter, a left-handed guy out of the bullpen, you always have the prospect of getting a job. So uh, the fact that Nicky can shoot it, uh, it, it would be great for him uh, to come full circle and to be able to play and do some stuff with the Raptors. You know, he's a guy as well, Jonesy, and, and it's not like he's alone on this list. There are a ton of players. I mean, a ton of players, both 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 present and past, and I'm sure future, that make this list, make this category. I give him a ton of credit for, A, it's the love of the game, no doubt, and wanting to play, and wanting to probably stay attached to and close to the NBA by being in the G League and maybe not going overseas. But I give credit because... It must take, whether it's whether it's an ounce or a gallon, it must take something to look yourself in the mirror and say, I was a top five pick, top ten pick, lottery pick, second rounder. I was an NBA draft pick. I was in the league. I played legit minutes in the league, and now I'm not there. And I will do what it takes to get back. Not just going to sit on the money I made, not going to, to just, you know, woe is me and move on. I'll do what it takes. I'll swallow my pride. I'll continue to put in the work. And I give Nick and so many players uh, alongside him the credit that, that have that gumption to be able to say that to themselves and stick with it and earn their way back, whether it's on a 10-day or whether they end up making it back full-time. Because, jo- Jonesy, who was it we were talking to just yesterday? It might have been Brian Windhorst. I'm, I'm trying to recall. Where we and we've talked about it many times, and it's been said many times. You quickly find out that getting into the NBA, as hard as that is, is not as hard as staying in the NBA because that's something we don't address enough. I think in in sports, even as fans, every single year, and the NBA only has two rounds, but you got 15 guys on a roster expanded to what 16, 17 on some now, but you've essentially got 450 jobs. Call it 470 if you want to inflate it a little bit. 470-ish jobs in the league, right? Every year, 60 players are drafted. I would guess, and this is just a pure guess, Jonesy, of those 60, 35 or 40 are in the league each year. So you're talking about roughly right around an 8 to 10% turnover every year. Whoever is on a team right now or was two weeks ago, there's going to be 40 or 50 guys not on the roster next year because new guys have come in. Keeping that job is so hard. And then to be able to stick with it and try to earn your way back. Look at Isaiah Thomas to finally go through everything he's been through to get back. And now he's starting for the Lakers. I give these guys so much credit for staying with it and and, and finding 
the, uh, like I say, the gumption, the attitude, the strength to be able to do it. I think it's impressive. Eric, I've always said this. It's one thing to get drafted. It's a total other thing to have a career. Like, you can get drafted, and you get in there, and, you know, you get the guaranteed money for two years, the way the CBA works, and then there's options to be picked up and stuff like that. But it was Jamma Mahalela that, Malalea that told us, Eric, that, uh, you know, guys want to stay in the league. They realize what it takes because he's a developmental guy. And and it's true. Like, to me, it's it's one thing to get drafted. It's another thing to have a career. And it's like our business. You know, people say, oh, Eric, great. You know, you, 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 know, you got a job calling games at the fan. Well, yeah, you got one of 30 jobs in the entire world. You don't think there's a lot of people that want that job? So mm-hmm. it's one thing to get the job. It's another thing to do it well to keep it. And it's the same thing in, in anything that's, that's that coveted. Uh, a spot in the NBA, a spot in the NFL, a spot in the NHL, uh, you know, uh, the CEO of a company. Like, it's, it's one thing to get there. It's another thing to keep it, to stay there and to do it well. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, for the guys that kind of, you know, get on that train and, and, and bounce around, go back and forth, um, you know, the NBA. And, and, and this is where I think the G League has become really, really viable. Guys would rather play in the G League, maybe for a little less money than they would some of the top leagues in Europe or South America. Why? Because you're closer to the action. It's like going to the pickup run with your shoes and somebody gets hurt. It's like, hey, Smith, you got your shoes? Yeah, I got my shoes, you know? You go to the, the the baseball game and a guy gets hurt. Hey, we need a left fielder. Smith, you got your glove? Yeah, I got my glove. They're not going to go look f- further away for a guy when there's somebody right there. So, you know, I think the way the G League has positioned itself and what they've done to, um, you know, enhance the, the quality of play and the coaching and all of that, uh, it's it's become maybe the best alternative for, for people to, uh, you know, to get back into the NBA. They're not, they're not going to head over to Europe and try to get a guy out of a contract. And then there's a buyout with that team. And no, let's find a guy, let's dip into the G league and find people. So, I mean, look at the three guys, the Raptors signed all G league people. So it, it, it just, it just makes it easier right now. And as you said, good for those guys willing to, Hey, you know what? I'll take a little less money. I'll, I'll play here. I'll play closer to where the action is for the chance and, and, and the prospect that I might get called up to the league. Uh, more to look at last night in the association. The San Antonio Spurs beating the Clippers by 24. Ja Morant returning to the lineup for the Grizzlies, and they lose to the Thunder by three. You know, OKC's record isn't great, but they're putting together uh, some wins of late. And I did mention off the top, Golden State with the victory over uh, Sacramento, winning by 15. Draymond Green had a triple-double in that ball game. Steph had a, oh, quiet ho-hum 30, uh, 4 of 12 from distance. But Draymond again with the triple-double. And uh, you look at the record now for the Golden State Warriors at 25-6. and six. They've played two more games than the Suns. They've got one more loss, but they've got one more win. So 
Uh, technically speaking, they're tied in the standings, but if you really want to break down the math because of the fewer games and whatnot and the fewer losses, the win percentage is still a little bit higher for the Phoenix Suns. But, man, Golden State, Jonesy, I, I don't even know what more there is to say about them when you continue to think about how well they've played this season. And speaking of depth, and I know you know some of these guys maybe got a, a few more minutes because it was a game that was uh, you know in hand for Golden State for most of the evening. But Gary Payton, uh, the second, Gary Payton Jr., and we obviously saw him for a, a brief cup of coffee here in Toronto, and, and he's a guy that I'm sure Raptor fans are looking at thinking, man, as well as the Raptors have done in, in identifying talent, how do we let that one slide? 12.6 boards off the bench. He's been playing solid this year. Defensively great and certainly flashy in terms of his athleticism. And then you go you know, a little further down the list with guys like uh, Toscano Anderson and Moody. Kaminga, you know, got, starting last night, struggled, only played seven minutes. And, and um, you know, but the vets, the vets that continue to do it for this team. And Draymond Green, uh, Jamma talked to us about him yesterday the willing vet willing to help out and willing to show so many guys the way and and to be that type of leader but then hey i can still play myself and i can still go out and do the job too yeah um at golden state they're they're going to be tough they are going to be a tough out and they've reloaded very quickly you know you talk about uh san antonio beating the clippers they've started to play a lot better lately San Antonio. I don't know what it was at the start, but they have kind of figured it out. And I mean, they're still a ways from even a, a play-in spot, but um, they're starting to play better. They, they really are. And, and you know, it's funny, you're, you're talking about the standings and yesterday we were talking about half games and all that stuff. Uh, you look at the loss column with some of these teams that are ahead of the Raptors. Like the Raptors have played four less games than the Charlotte Hornets. And, and they're, the Raptors are technically two ahead of them in the loss column. So when you're looking at the standings and you start looking at where Toronto is, uh, there are a whole lot of teams that have played more games. And if the Raptors can you know, get back out there and make up some of these games and put them in the left column, it's, it's going to augur very, very well for them. And, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda, we still look back at the games that, you know, I count four now, coulda, shoulda, woulda. And as you say, E, I don't want all four. Just give me two. And instead yep. of, you know, 14 and 15, you're 16 and 13. And, and you know, uh, the Raptors lose in overtime to the Nets. But the Magic knocked them off a little while, you know, a couple of days later. So, I mean, while you would never think, oh, we're going to beat the Nets. Or if you're a Raptor fan, oh, we're going to – well, we, we – we have no chance or, oh, well, maybe we do too bad. It got away. Then all of a sudden, you know, Orlando gets one. You kind of, you kind of slap your forehead with an open palm. Like, oh man, kind of like what I'm doing with my brownies yesterday, but that comes in the second hour. We'll talk about. Yeah. That. I, I Listen, I was going to hit you off the top and I decided to, to leave it alone because you're no, right. No, kind of what I happened know, to the brownies. You think about leading for 99% of the game. Uh, against Cleveland and losing in the last 29, 30 seconds of that ball game, and 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 obviously the 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 heartbreaker against the Thunder as well, losing to the five and 24 Pistons who just broke their 14 game losing streak a couple of days ago against the Miami Heat. You're right. You look at those four games. I'm sure those are the four you're talking about. Even if you give me heck, give me one. Yep. Give me one, and I'm above 500. Let alone give me two. You give the Raptors two games right now. They're 16 and 13. They're the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. And for that matter, even as it stands right now, they're only a game out of six 
as we currently speak. So certainly an important game in Chicago against the Bulls tomorrow, but Chicago having won two straight, straight excuse me, sitting as the second seed in the East just behind the Brooklyn Nets at 21-9, the Nets, the Bulls at 19-10. and 10. And it's still going to be a fairly uh, busy schedule, I guess, for the Raptors. And again, keeping fingers crossed, assuming, Jonesy, that uh, you know everything stays on track uh, with the games that are scheduled, the games that are planned, the Raptors will play tomorrow against the Bulls, then have a few days off until they play again on the 26th, but then three games before the calendar flips on the 26th against Cleveland, that's in Cleveland, and then scheduled to be at home on the 28th and 31st against the Sixers and Clippers, respectively. We'll probably ask George Carl about this later on in the show next hour as well. We'll talk to Tim Bontemps uh, about this as well. But I'll ask you, Jonesy, the National Hockey League announcing that they are uh, basically ceasing operation for a few days uh, until through to the uh, um, you know post-Christmas uh, for you know four or five days, shutting her down. I understand why, from a business perspective, if for no other reason, the five Christmas Day games and the TV contracts and the money and everything else, maybe you could have said, we're shutting down from now till Christmas, we're playing on Christmas, or we're shutting down from now till the new year, but we're only playing on one day on Christmas. You could have done a bunch of different things. The NBA didn't do anything. They're plowing forward still. You think this is the right decision? Well, they're trying to. I, I think. I think money has something to do with it, Eric, as you just pointed out. Um, you know, look at look at last year when the season was you know was crunched. It was seventy two games. Uh, it was a quick turnaround from the bubble, uh, and they were talking about starting in January. And all of a sudden, they started looking at the bottom line and money, and they said, "You know what? We're going to start it like a, a week early." week and a half early let's get those christmas day games in and there we are so i i just think that has something to do with it and you know like we said allowing teams to sign players and you know the cap implications like yeah go ahead sign them don't worry we won't nicky on the on the on the salary cap things like that they want to keep this thing going you know i've heard from friends who have texted me and said oh my gosh goodness i oh my gosh I hope the Raptors aren't going back to Tampa. We've talked about this, Eric. They're not going to move them midseason. Like, you, like yeah. that's that's not happening. And it may teams may have to be more attentive when it comes to the protocols and crossing the border and coming to Canada. I mean, we've talked to a lot of teams that have come in, and yeah, they, each person has had to download the Arrive Canada app and you know jump through the hoops and follow the protocols. But that's what you need to do if you're coming to play here. And, and, you know, all the testing and all that, uh, Toronto's part of the league and they're not going anywhere. So um, I, I, I just think that there's, there is a bottom line component. Um, you would think that, as we said yesterday, I would trust the NBA a little bit more for their decision making because of what they did at the start of the pandemic. They stopped their league first and basically shut down all of sports. Everybody followed suit. So... They probably know a little bit more about things, uh, you know, from a health and safety standpoint, consulting with infectious disease people, uh, really kind of trying to lead the way. So, you know, for the most part, I, I think I think you got to trust that they're not going to put uh, the health and safety of the, the greater number of people at risk. So plow forward. Um, you know, the NHL hasn't, they, they might have shut things down for a while, 
But again, I think you've got a unique situation in basketball where, what, there's 17 guys on a roster, 15? Like, you look at some of these other other leagues, there's way more than that on the roster in hockey. You got, you know, 50, 60 guys on a team in football. Like, it, it's just a little bit different. It, it might be a little bit easier to contain, to control, because of the smaller numbers and and the protocols that have been put in place. So people may not like it, but the NBA's the NBA's forging ahead and I, I would again, you know, maybe people saying I'm being blind about this, but I would trust their judgment as progressive a league as they have been in all the other areas to do the right thing. Uh, and to be clear as well, or to make sure that I'm clear, um, you're a sports fan, you probably know this already, but just in case for some reason you're just first hearing the news when I mentioned the National Hockey League, I, just to be abundantly clear, they have not shut down as of yet. It actually starts tomorrow. The NHL planning to pause its season on Wednesday, which is two days before its already planned Christmas break, and the schedule will then resume on December 27th. So it's not as though it shut down last night and through to the new year or something. It's a couple of days early, and hey, kudos to them uh, for taking that approach but they already uh had the christmas break planned it's just going to be a couple of days longer now um we'll shift our attention back to the nba though and we will talk to uh one of the best george carl uh who's played the game coached the game and, and been around the game damn near his whole life we will get into a whole bunch with coach carl when we continue on smith and jones back on smith and jones eric smith paul jones with you Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Smith & Jones, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review as well. Speaking of podcasts, owner of the Truth & Media podcast, but more importantly, longtime NBA head coach as well, 2013 Coach of the Year. He's joined us before. We always love chatting with George Carl. George, appreciate the time as always. Uh, Merry Christmas. Santa Claus week. Let's go, baby. It's time to get fun and have a (laughs) celebration. Absolutely. Merry Christmas to you as well, Coach. And, uh, hey, fingers crossed that everybody stays safe and healthy and, and gets through the holiday season, including the league right now. Uh, and, and, Coach, I wanted to kind of start there. Uh, just your perspective. Um, take me inside a locker room or onto the floor if you're coaching right now trying to navigate through players you have, players you don't have, emergency 10 days that are coming in how that impacts your practices how it impacts your rotation and just trying to as i say again navigate through these choppy waters oh i would think there are a lot of coaches that are somewhat suicidal right now Uh, especially the ones who are not playing well i think the whole nba this year has been very inconsistent it's up and down, good and bad. Uh, you know, Toronto, I think, is an example of that. I mean, they'll go out and play as good as anyone in basketball one day, and then they'll go out and lose those home cities the next day. And I think it's a combination of COVID and a lot of other things. But the COVID stuff has just got coaches. I mean, yeah, I mean, your playbook is very minimal right now. Uh, your ability to be influenced by veteran players and leadership is confused. I, I heard someone on radio called it, the NBA is kind of in a drunken state. And I kind of like that because, you know, it's, it's kind of chaotic, but there's a lot of order to it, too. I mean, you got to love what Phoenix, 
uh, is doing right now. They're playing great basketball, and I think Golden State has been very impressive. Uh, and in, in a quiet way, Utah has been solid. But, you know, the best team in the East right now is the Cleveland Cavaliers. What's that goal? Where is that coming from? I have no idea. And <laughs> it's the best a, team in the East is a defensive team, not an offensive team. Where is that coming from? But all the things I think are good for the game of basketball. I think, you know, I think defense has come back this year. I think the NBA allowing players to be more physical on the defensive end of court against against offensive players has been very positive for the physicality of the game. And we do have a lot of great young players, but the you know, the problem right now is we we put great young players in the championship caliber and they're not ready yet. I mean, there are not many of them that are ready to contend for a championship right now with Steph and LeBron and, and Chris Paul and guys like that, those are the guys who are focused on winning the championship right now. Hey, Coach, we're, we're going to see if we can uh, give you a quick call back. It's probably something on our end, not yours, but we're going to see if we can get a clearer line. So, uh, Coach, we'll, we'll give you a quick buzz back, and, Jonesy, we'll get uh, George Carl uh, back on the line uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, and, and I think it's interesting, the point that, that Coach, well, a bunch of points that he brought up there, um, but not the least of which, the return of the defensive games, because as much as we want to talk about offense yep. and how offensive-minded the league has been for so many years, and we clearly focus on the three-point shot, and understandably so, and the record being set by Steph last week, et cetera, at the end of the day, you look down, and yes, the numbers have decreased quite a bit in terms of scoring this year, and there are a lot of coaches now that are putting that emphasis more and more and teams putting that emphasis more and more on you can't just be a one-way guy. You've got to be able to play on both ends of the floor, and we're not grinding it out like the 90s again, but we are seeing teams that are cranking up the defense more than we've seen in recent memory. Yeah, I, I want to ask Coach, too, about um... – you know, the three-point shot. And we talked, you, you know, the physicalities come back a little bit with the defense. I'm looking at three-pointers attempted. Six of the top 11 teams uh, in terms of three-point shots attempted are out of the playoffs, are, are below the line and have losing records. Uh, New York, Orlando, Houston, you know, OKC, Portland, like a lot of these teams. And, and, and maybe we're going back to a part in the NBA where, People are trying to use the three-point shot to make up for other deficiencies. I, 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 and to me, my theory is that's where some of this started because people didn't have good inside play. They didn't have good big men. They said, okay, screw it. We're going to shoot from out here and try to make up for some of our deficiencies with, with scoring. And, you know, then the league trends toward offense. But, you know, I'd love to ask Coach about that. You look at, you know, Chicago's right 29th in three points. <laughs> oh, is he here? He's back. All right. I'm back. All right. All right, Coach. And, and this, is, this is my kind of could be off-base theory. Uh, but, you know, watching the game from my vintage and, and my point of view, you, you had to have good big people uh, back in the day. And then teams like yourselves in Seattle, uh, you started saying, well, we'll do it another way. We'll, we'll start picking people up. We'll turn people over. We'll score from our defense when you had, you know, when you had Bob Kloppenberg running your D and, and people, uh, you know, giving you easy buckets by, by, by turnovers. And, and, 
And then other people said, well, we'll make up for it by shooting the three-point shot. And I was just rhyming off. Six of the top 11 three-point shooting teams in terms of attempts have losing records. And with the physicality and the defense coming back, are some people trying to say, okay, well, we'll just make up for it by, by hoisting threes. And that's, and that's where this whole thing started years ago in, in the NBA. Well, I still think right now the league has gone crazy and gotten drunk on playing fast. And maybe it's uh, Mike D'Antonio and me, and you know we, uh, you know, we love to play fast early. But the analytics have jumped on and said playing fast is better than playing low-possession basketball, which I think is good. But right now you have a lot of people playing fast, but don't have the personality or the talent to play right. up and down, and they're forcing the bad three. Uh, I still think the three has got to be a major part of your offense, but I still think, the, you know, my, my phrase was always in coaching was, I love the rim, I like the three. I love the rim, I like the three. And I probably said that a hundred times in practice every day, because I, I didn't want bad threes. I want, I still wanted the game to be to the rim and in the paint. And if you do that well, you'll find the three. And uh, I think too many players now have a three-on-one fast break and think that's a three-point shot. And it isn't. It's a layup. Yeah. yeah. And, and our shot selection has deteriorated a little bit. But in the same sense, what I've been amazed by is how many guys in the NBA now can make five threes in a game if you leave them open. The, the three-point shooting has gotten vastly better. And there are guys in our league right now that I've never heard of that had six threes the other night. And, uh, you know, before, you know, to make six threes, you had to be a really a special shooter. But now there's a lot of really, really good shooting going on. I actually was talking to my son last night about, I want to know the three-point differential. What is, the, you know, like there are a lot of games now that other teams make 10 more threes than the other team. It's hard to win that game. If you give up yeah. a differential of 10 threes, that's 30 points that you got to make up on shot selection and getting paint points and layups. So I think the game, I think every team, because of the makeup of the team and the personality and strengths and skills of your team, you got to build your, your philosophy around that skill. But the three ball is here, here to stay. Uh, it's, it's still going to be a big part of it, every offense. It's the most efficient offense in the NBA, the low post doesn't work anymore. Uh, and a lot of isolation doesn't work anymore. Two things that 20 years ago were the, you know, were the keys to, to winning a championship. Well, it's funny, Coach, as, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking back to just a couple of weeks ago when, and I, I don't mean this disparagingly, we love the guy uh, as a person, let alone as a player, but former Raptor Jonas wow. Valanciunas. 
I mean, I, I think Jonesy, there were seasons where JV had a triple in the season, let alone maybe two or three at most. And here he is now, regularly coached as a seven footer, as a big man, as a traditional post guy, standing out on the perimeter and, and not just taking him, but making him. And it's like you can't. It seems like you can't play in the league if you don't have that in your in your arsenal now. Whether you're six feet tall or seven feet tall, you got to be able to shoot the three, and defenses have to respect it. Well, I've been out of the league now six or seven years, and I go around and I go to a lot of coaches, and you know, a lot of coaches come to Denver, and I go to lunch or dinner with them. <clears throat> and the one topic is, will the big man ever come back to the game of basketball? The old school big guy that you throw the ball to thirty times a game, and you play from the inside out, will that ever come back? And I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be direct with you. The answer to that right now, no has not been yes very often. It's been no 90% of the time. And I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I think defense is coming back a little bit. I think Golden State has shown that you got to be a balanced team. you got to be able to defend, and you also got to be able to shoot it. And I think they did that 10 years ago when, when I was still coaching here in Denver when they beat us in the first round. Uh, they were a very good individual defensive team, along with being an unbelievably shoot, good shooting team. But I still think you got to build your personality around the skills that you have on your team. And, and I think too many teams are trying to force a personality on their team rather than build around the skills of their team. Coach, well, that that brings me to a comment you made a little while ago about the best team in the East right now having won six in a row is the Cleveland Cavaliers. And their coach, John Blair, J.B. Bickerstaff, is the son of kind of an old-school guy, Bernie. And I look and see that he has built his team around his personnel. His, his front line is... They're all, they're all big. I mean, Mobley, the rookie's playing great. They're not going crazy with the three-point shots. They're, they don't throw it inside all the time, but when they do put it in there, they've got guys that can make big man and post moves. And to me right now, they're young, but they seem to be striking a little bit of a balance with like, you know, Garland scoring as the point guard, but yet getting people involved they look like a pretty good prototype now, and, and it's, it's showing to be successful the way they are because nobody expected this from them. Well, they are a very good defensive team, and, and they're doing it differently. Um, they have two big guys on the court a vast majority of the time, uh, and they, play not a, they don't play at a slow pace, but they don't play at a fast pace either. Um, I like them. I like I I like how a young team has, has come together and is kind of committed to each other on the defensive end of the court. Uh, and I and I really think I think they're going to be. I mean, right now Cleveland is a top four team in the in the Eastern Conference, and I mean, who would have ever thought that going in? And I mean, I love Mobley coming out in the draft, but the Jared Allen kid has played great too. Uh, he, I mean, he has gotten mm -hmm. the game. He's gotten the pick and roll game, rolling to the basket, offensive rebounding. You know, he's got. He, he is committed to playing 
uh, as a big man, if you play like Jared Allen plays, you're going to be on the court because he plays it the right way. He gets out of the way of the ball, but he also knows how to get the ball some space to play with good pick and rolls. And he, and he believes in the offensive rebound and being on the tip of the rim on almost every possession. Uh, and, you know, I mean, Milwaukee seems to be struggling. They have some injury problems going on. COVID has hit them hard. Uh, they seemingly haven't found their mental focus of a championship, which I think they will in time. Um, but other than that, I mean, who else? Do, I mean, do you, do you like the Toronto team? I mean, I like some of their pieces. I like how they played some of the time. But they don't have a great rhythm or flow right now going on in their team. And there's a lot of teams right in the, in the NBA. I think there's like 15 or 20 teams that are right around 500. There's about four or five teams that are really good, and there are about four or five teams that are really bad. And about everybody else is about the same. And they're searching, which will be good for the ratings and, and who, who, who makes a trade, a trade deadline, who's going to make a move. Um, I think that's going to be a part of it. Who's going to sign with the Lakers? Because they're awful and they know it, and they got to find some players to try to <laughs> try to figure that out somewhere along the way. And no one wants to talk about it. the Clippers aren't very good either. Mm-hmm. I mean, the two LA teams who everybody thought were going to be in the top five basketball they're not, they're not they're not even on my radar from the standpoint of a championship contender. Coach, you lead me perfectly to where I wanted to go, and we're speaking with George Carl. I, I, was, I was staring at the standings as you were talking, and you went right there. Currently in the East, uh, there are three games that separate the sixth seed from the 13th seed. And in the West, the gap's not necessarily as big. Three and a half games separating sixth from the 11th seed. You're right. There are a pile of teams that are 16 and 15, 15 and 16, either a game up or a game below, hovering right at that 500 mark. We're seeing the same thing in the National Football League for what that's worth as well. With that said, we're a couple of years into this now. As a a coach, as a player, do you like this play-in tournament and creating the drama that having this play-in and and looking at the standings now all the way down to number 10 as opposed to just the top eight? I think they picked the wrong one. They, they should pick the one to take the top 16 teams in the league and then receive them after every, every, every round. So love it, not, love it, love it. I mean, why are we doing this? I mean, the conferences and the divisions were made because of travel 40, 50, 60 years ago. We don't have that problem anymore. So why don't we take the top 16 teams and, and, and see them one through 16? And then after the first round, we do the same thing. Again, we reseed them based upon how well you performed in the regular season. And so, you know, you might have Toronto playing Phoenix in the first or second round. Who cares? I, I did it one year. I did it one year when I was working for ESPN, and there were some great matchups. I mean, there were some great matchups that come out one, you know, one in 16. Well, maybe not one in 16, but. You know, three and and thirteen to be a hell of a matchup, and uh, I think that was on the table when they decided to play in the play in. The play in is I don't even really understand it right now. It's a long shot to get in, and it's just making the guys at six, seven, and eight, nine, and ten 
play more basketball. And they get they have more of a chance to be tired and fatigued. If they if they win, they're probably gonna be worn out to be able to go in and play uh play the number one seed. It's, 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 it's Coach, too gimmicky for me, I guess. Coach, I have been with you all along on this thing. Uh, and I, it started for me as a Blue Jays fan in baseball because they're playing against the Yankees and the Rays and the Red Sox while other teams are, are don't have the difficulty of schedule. I think with travel the way it is now, get ri- just, just equal out the schedule as best as you can and... Uh, and line them up one to sixteen, and I do like the idea of reseeding. I think we should be doing it now because it makes the regular season worth something. Why wouldn't the best team exactly. over eighty-two games have the best chance to get to the finals? I'm all for reseeding and not setting the bracket. And and you know, uh, w- what would keep the NBA from doing that? What would keep them from doing that? Be doing that right now because I know there'll be some crazy matchups and there'll be a lot of travel, but it's not like we don't travel now. Uh, I don't think the travel is that bad. And I, I think you'd be probably surprised that you would probably get maybe a little bit, a little bit more coast-to-coast travel that would be maybe somewhat troublesome. But I don't think it's going it's to be like in the 5 to 10%, like the 50 to 60% thing. I don't know why. I think, uh, I think there are a lot of owners, a lot of older owners maybe, like the old division rivalry. But I don't, I don't think those rivalries exist as much as people try to make them out to be. I mean, the rivalry comes in the playoffs when when you have a when you play the same team in the playoffs two years in a row. That becomes a rivalry because you you mm-hmm. remember those games, you remember those wins, and you remember those losses. So, um, I I really like the the play in the top sixteen teams, and as you say, figuring out the balance of the schedule. There's going to be some imbalance to it, but in the end, there's always been a little bit of imbalance because of, you know, four games and five nights and stuff like that. Coach, we appreciate the time as always. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. Happy holidays to you and yours, and we'll look forward to speaking with you sometime in the new year. Merry Christmas and Happy uh, New Year 2022. Remember my number was number 22, so it's going to be a hell of a year. 22, yep. That's going to be a hell of a year. I remember that. Let's have some fun. All right. All the best, Coach. Okay. Bye-bye. There is George Carl, 2013 NBA Coach of the Year, longtime coach, former player as well, and always love chatting with him, Jonesy. He's a Carolina guy, but when he played for the San Antonio Spurs, he wore number 22. And, uh, you know, he's coached in Spain. He's coached everywhere. And he's it's it's great to talk to him. And, I mean, he – kind of fits as one of those coaches in my eyes, like Don Nelson, who had crazy ideas at the time. And now you look at them, they're the things that are in play. Like George Carl revolutionized some of the stuff that he did uh, defensively is now still going on uh, about, you know, the copycat part of the league, isolating the pick and roll, ice, 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 you know, and, and I'm not talking about the, 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 the white rap guy with his hair pulled back either. I'm talking about isolating a pick and roll when you hear them yelling that on the court. And, and Don Nelson 
when he was coaching the Knicks and he said, you know what, we're going to take Patrick Ewing and put him up high. We want to open up the floor and get driving lanes and kick it out and shoot the three. And people looked at him like, are you, are you nuts? And you look at that stuff now and, and here we are, right? Like, you know, back in the day, oh yeah, we're all going to have cell phones and call each other whenever we want. Who saw that back in the 50s? But yet here we are, you know, 70 years later, it's happening. So uh, it's always great to talk to George Carl and, and uh, hear his ideas on the game. Back with more in a moment. We shift our attention back to the NBA. Always love chatting with our friend uh, from ESPN, Tim Bontemps. Tim, thanks for the time as always. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing All well. Good, Tim. You know, bunkered, bunkered in, I guess, and, and, and trying to duck and dodge right now, Tim, as I guess the rest of the league is right now. Um, you know, right off the bat, Tim, I'll just kind of throw it to you. How do you like, how do you think the way uh, the NBA is, is sort of handling things and trying to navigate uh, the, the kind of uncertainty and the craziness uh, globally, let alone in their league right now? I mean, look, I think everybody is just sort of flailing right now trying to figure things out, right? And I, I think the uh, the decision to allow for replacement players uh, across the league I think was a necessary one. I think the league was caught a little flat-footed on, uh, on this because, uh, you know, obviously they had the, the Bulls games postponed, and I think they thought maybe they'd kind of nip things in the bud, and then all of a sudden – you know, a bunch of teams had the same issue. And, um, you know, I, I think it would have made sense to have that rule come into place a few days earlier. So teams would have been able to uh, be a little more proactive in getting guys uh, signed um, to avoid some of these postponements that happened on Sunday. Um, I also think that uh, having the G League showcase right now doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um some of these games that were postponed on Sunday, like the Sixers-Pelicans game, for example, was because the Sixers had guys in Vegas for the showcase and couldn't get them back in time to play for their team, right? So, you know, I, I mean, look, I'm not trying to bang on the league here. This is obviously a very difficult situation for everybody to sort out. But, you know, I, I think, you know, in hindsight, there's some stuff I think they should have done differently. But – What's clear is that the NBA is going to be rolling along, uh, yeah. trying to finish as many games as they can, and you know I don't see any kind of pause happening for suspension of the season. Um, and you know they're just going to put their heads down and, and plow through and try to get to the other side of this thing, and you know get as many games in as they can. Tim, I I, I couldn't agree with you more. I really think you know the lack of tax implications and being able to sign people on hardship uh, under hardship circumstances means the NBA is saying, well, we're not stopping. We're, we are getting through this. Um, and, and hopefully by the time our playoffs roll around, um, you know, by the time our playoffs roll around, things will be better. And what I want to know, Tim, from you is, and, and we haven't seen you and I don't know the last time you and I, talked in person and the three of us i mean we it used to be a regular uh but, but we haven't seen you in person in forever and you are on the other side of the fence and, and we're on our side the perception of coming to canada like the golden state warriors left six rotation players after the game in boston and flew them home because they, they were did. afraid of coming to canada 
coming to Canada, having a positive test and being stuck in Canada for 10 days and Christmas Day games going on without, you know, Steph or Draymond or whatever. What's the perception of coming to play in Canada in the U.S. with 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 all of the teams? Because I, I know some people think, uh, well, our standards are a little bit, protocols are a little uh, more stringent up here, but what's the general yeah. perception of coming to play up here? I mean, I, I don't think... I don't think the perception of playing there has changed. I just think to your point, I think people are just, um, it's just more complicated if somebody tests positive in Toronto than if they do in Boston, right? Because you have to deal with the border and another government and, um, and all of that, right? It's just another, it's just more complicated to figure out what to do. Um, I don't think anybody, uh, you know, I miss coming to Toronto. I'm excited to, to get back to Toronto whenever I'm able to. Um, and I, I don't think that anybody is, like, down on playing there now or anything. But, yeah, I think your point about Golden State is sort of sums up the situation, right? They were like, hey, it's the end of a five-game road trip. It's a back-to-back. We're going to send all our vets home rather than – deal with the border, deal with testing, deal with a potential positive test and having to figure out how to get guys out of the country eventually. Right. Um, They were just like, this isn't worth um, the hassle. So I, yeah. So I don't, I don't think anybody looks down on Toronto or playing Canada or anything like that. I think in what's already a chaotic situation, I think people are just trying to be as, uh, are, are just trying to, you know, remove as many complications as they possibly can. Speaking with Tim Bontemps from ESPN, and, and for what it's worth, I'd be in the same boat. I mean, I'm not traveling right now. I mean, not only because I've got games to broadcast and a show to host and everything else, but I wouldn't be choosing to get on a plane to go to the U.S. or anywhere else right now for that for that very reason, because I don't want to risk potentially getting stuck or, or not being able to get back yeah. in. It just adds a layer of complication. So I, I totally get it. Tim, I, I, I'm going to – Jonesy, rein me in if I, if I misrepresent here. I'm pretty confident I, I'm going to say it accurately. But, Timmy, we had yesterday your, your friend, your colleague on – uh, Brian Windhorse. And one of the things Brian was saying, and again, I'm paraphrasing here, um, but he said, because the teams aren't necessarily testing every day unless there's someone that has symptoms, thus tests, thus finds out, unfortunately has COVID or enters health and safety protocols, it's then uh, when we're finding out that, oh, it's not just uh, Tim that's got it, both Eric and Paul have it as well. And, and Eric and yeah. Paul were asymptomatic, didn't even know, and hence the yeah. reason the numbers are climbing. Should we be yeah. getting to a point where every team, whether they're entering Canada or whether they're staying in their own city in a seven-game homestand, should they be testing every single day, period? Uh, I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's, a, uh, that's a very interesting question, Eric. Um, I think it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Um, okay. yeah. if, uh, if you're trying to finish the season... <laughs> I, and, and play games. I think the NBA should have been doing what they were doing until Thanksgiving, which is basically saying uh, we are not going to. If you're if you're vaccinated and you're asymptomatic, you don't have to test. And the only time you have to test is if you think you have symptoms of COVID. And you know a lot of the guys who are going into the protocols, as Brian mentioned. 
you know, I, I'm saying this anecdotally, but a lot of these guys seem to be asymptomatic, right? And they go into the protocols once a couple guys, you know, a guy or two on their team is symptomatic and test positive, and people get tested, a few other guys test positive, and then they all sit out for a while, right? Um, so if you're trying to just keep anybody with COVID off the court, yes, that the league is handling it probably that's probably how the league should handle it if you're trying to just put your head down and get through the season which is what the league seems to be trying to do then i think you could argue they should just be testing unvaccinated players every day like they have been and then asymptomatic you know and then any symptomatic vaccinated players so i'm not trying to obfuscate your question but i i do think generally the, the the answer is it depends on what your goal is and i, I think you know the league's actions overall would seem to indicate their goal is to play games. So I would think they should be testing when there's symptoms for vaccinated players. The, uh, to me, Tim, and I, I hear what you're saying and your little, your little scoff at the beginning of the question, Eric, uh, like we're parents. Oh, I it's wasn't kind of like clear. I just, no, 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 no. Oh yeah. Very good. Point. No, no. It is a great question. And to me, the NBA is treating it like a parent who's gone away for the weekend and has left their two teenage kids at home. Like, we know there's going to be some shenanigans going on. We just don't want to know. Like, make sure the house, we left it clean. No matter what happens, when we come back, we want to see it clean, and we won't ask any questions. And I just I just right. kind of feel like the, the NBA is doing that. Oh, like, there might be a guy who's positive. No, he's got no symptoms. He doesn't. And unless he, he kind of, I don't know, outs himself or says, you know, I need to check this out for you know, my own consciousness or whatever, they're like, no, 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 just keep playing. We're, we're good. And that's, and you're right. I think they're just trying to get to the end. And, and that being said, Tim, what impact is it going to have? Like we look at the Raptors in the last couple of games, they, they lose to Brooklyn shorthanded when Brooklyn shorthanded and could have won that game in overtime. And then they wallop the, the Warriors who voluntarily come in shorthanded and the game that Toronto lost to Brooklyn, well, look, the next night, Brooklyn, shorthanded, loses to Orlando. Like, it's right. it's having a huge impact on the results of games. Yes, no question. Uh, I mean, it, it, but, you know, that's also, uh, Jonesy, the way things kind of work anyway, right? Like, you catch teams during the year. Like, look at, look at the Raptors playing the Warriors Saturday, right? Like, even though the Warriors didn't bring Steph and Draymond and Wiggins and those guys, at the end of a five-game road trip on a back-to-back with a veteran team, if this was a normal season, that would have probably been a game where they sat everybody anyway, right? And the Raptors would have yeah. had a chance yeah. to be the best team in the league with all their good players sitting out, basically, right? So that kind of stuff happens. And I think generally will sort of balance itself out. It's obviously not going to be perfect across the board, but, um, but, but I, yeah, I mean, that, that's just how it goes. Like it's just sort of the luck of the draw of a season. And rather than okay, injuries, so Tim, you're dealing with hope right now, you know, right. Like, right. It's just sort, right. Of, just sort of how it goes. So, so for me, I guess the other deeper dive into this question is, 
and and again, you're, it's probably the same answer that you just gave me. But the competitive balance. I mean, Boston's sitting there having played their guts out against Golden State, and see the next night Toronto beats them by like nine thousand, and Boston's sitting there going, "What the hell? Like <laughs> we we went all out against Steph Curry, and then you guys get the Santa Cruz Warriors the next night and win. Like people are." You know, it's kind of like resting guys and the whole competitive balance thing. I, I guess it, it, as you said, Tim, it is what it is, right? Yeah, it's just the way it's just the way the season goes, right? I mean, it's just it's not it's not a, uh, you know, it's not it's just the way it always is. You know, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned that back to back with Golden State with the Celtics and the uh, and the Raptors over the weekend, right? Um, you know, I mean, yeah, like. Boston, I'm sure, would have loved to get Golden State with none of those guys available. Um, but you know, they played the they played the Bucks two weeks earlier when none of their guys are available and won that game. You know, like that stuff just over time, over the course of 82 games. You know, it just ultimately, I think, all evens itself out, and um, you know, you can't really. Um, you, you just can't really do much about it, you know. You just got to play who's in front of you, and uh, um, you know, do the best you can, and and go from there. And that, you know, that's really all you can do. Speaking with Tim Bontemps from ESPN, Tim, a couple minutes left with you here. Um, very kind of big picture, generic question for you now. I I, I won't I won't I, I'm I'm done with hard hitting questions. Who's the best team? <laughs> in the okay. Eastern Conference right now. Let's not even look at the West because, I, listen, I know you know the whole league inside and out, but you focus a lot of your time on the East and the, and, and the Northeast specifically and dodging Philly and, and New York and, and Boston and everything else. I, I look at the standings, and it's a whole lot of teams jammed up, and, and I'm sure COVID plays into it and the uncertainty of this year and guys in and out of the lineup and everything else. But, man, we're talking about, you know, 13 through to six, only three teams separating. Are the Nets going to be able to keep up this pace? The Bulls, the, the Cavaliers winning six in a row sitting as the third seed. Who are the best teams? How is this going to all break down over the sort of next half, the next two-thirds of the season? I think the best team in the East is the Bucks. I thought that all season. I, I think that if they have oh. their horses in the playoffs, I think they're going to be they're going to win. Um, but you know, we'll see. We'll see what Brooklyn looks like uh, now that Kyrie is playing in road games. We'll see what that adventure, how that adventure goes, how long it lasts. Um, but the interesting team there uh, to talk about a little bit, maybe you talked about with Brian yesterday, is the Cavs. Now I was looking at our internal uh, analytics projections yesterday, and the Cavs are projected by our data to be the number one seed in the East, uh, which I wow. think most fans wow. would be like, what? Really? Um, they've had a very hard schedule so far, and they have a very, very easy schedule from here on in. And, you know, we'll see how they do. You know, right now they've unfortunately got their two best players probably and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley in the protocol. So we'll see, um, we'll see how long they are, uh, uh, you know, we'll see how they hold up without those guys for a few days. Hopefully they can get them back soon. Um, but I am very curious to see where the Cavs end up because they're awfully good. And Evan Mobley has been unbelievable. And, you know, like if the Cavs are even a top four seed in the East, it would be, 
pretty wild, you know, compared to where they've been certainly since LeBron left. So uh, that is something I'm watching. Uh, but, yeah, look, I think if you're asking me who's the best team, I thought before the season it was Milwaukee. I think if they're healthy, it's still Milwaukee. I think they're going to be awfully tough to beat in the playoffs. Hey, Tim, we always appreciate the insight and the time. Thanks for joining us. Uh, happy holidays. All the best to you and yours, and we'll look forward to speaking with you in uh, 2022. Yes, guys, same to you and everybody up there. Stay healthy uh, through the holiday season, and we'll definitely talk soon. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones, folks, wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and uh, keep it tuned in Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. as well.